This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following presentation is brought to you by The Mutual Network. Better living through audio. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. From the stories of the past and the fiction writers of the future, the Mutual Audio Network presents Mutual Book Club. <laughs> Let me top that off for you now. <laughs> Stop. I get... Oh, oh, I'm <clears throat> good. Uh, music, please. Hi, uh, we're just having a celebration here because this is the last segment of The Devil's Pinata, a book written by and read by John Bell. <laughs> this, is, this is it. At the end of this, there's no more. Yeah, no more. <laughs> okay, let's get to it and get it done with. Chapter 31 The portion of the asparagus above the waterline began to sway in the ocean breeze. It continued. To grow. Chapter 32 Marcia had passed out all the remaining peanuts. She looked out the window as the helicopter came in for a second pass. It twisted, heaving the large stick against the piñata. The gondola vibrated as the stick made contact. The piñata held fast, but it wouldn't stand up to this assault for long. Marcia knew it was time to finish her mission. She distributed the remaining magazines and slipped out the back door of the passenger compartment, heading aft. She passed the emergency raft that was hanging on the wall, the aft raft. It had a small leak, creating an aft raft draft. Next to the raft was a painting of President Taft. She laughed. But it is daft to have laughed at the aft taft in the daft raft. So she paffed it and continued on. Soon she arrived at the doomsday device room. She peeked through the door and saw Laszlo approaching Buck. She prepared to act, and she hoped her years off-Broadway would help her act to the best of her ability. Chapter 33 The entire blimp shuddered with the impact. A red light flashed in the doomsday device room. Ah, said Laszlo. That indicates that the piñata has been breached and the worms have been disgorged to the ground. He pulled the switch of doom from his pocket. It is time to attach the switch of doom to the doomsday device, after which I will throw the switch of doom, dooming the denizens of democracy to doom and disaster with my doomsday device. Laszlo walked over to the wall of dark and silent electronic components. There, on a panel, was a rectangular opening just the size of the switch, with two wires sticking out. Laszlo prepared to attach the wires to the switch. Chapter 34 Hey, Charlie, said one Lebanonian to another. What the heck did that big piñata disgorge after the big stick tore that big hole in its side? It looks like uh, gummy worms. Thousands and thousands of gummy worms. 
the excited crowd held out hands and buckets and hats to catch the plummeting worms. As the robotic invertebrates rained down upon them, people started popping them into their mouths. The reactions were as negative as they were fast. People spit out the worms and dropped all they had held at a moment's notice. Hey, Charlie, said that aforementioned Lebanonian to another, these taste lousy. I wonder if they're good for fishing. This is the worst Cinco de Mayo ever, exclaimed pretty much everybody in attendance, with the notable exception of little Calvin Watterson, who just happened to collect robot worms. This is spiffy, exclaimed Calvin. Chapter 35 As Laszlo began to attach the first wire to the switch, the switch exploded in his hand. He held his burned and cut hand with his other while looking around the room. Who did that? he demanded. I cannot tell a lie, said Buck. I doed it with my little twinsmitter. He held up what looked like a car's remote door-unlocking keychain thingy. As a precaution, I attached a small explosive device on the switch rigged to this transmitter. Now you have no switch of doom to activate your doomsday device. I'd say this book is in its last chapter. If it is, Laszlo said through clenched teeth, you'll never survive to the epilogue. You men, he pointed at two henchmen. Seize him! You, the scientist! He pointed at two more men. I'm over here, said the scientist. Where, said Laszlo, the blast cracked my glasses. I didn't know you wore glasses, said the scientist. The author of this book was too lazy to mention it earlier. Anyway, wherever you are, can you rig up another switch of doom? The scientist stroked his beard. I do not know, Excellency. Perhaps, but it could take days. Laszlo squinted at the scientist. When did you grow a beard? I've always had a beard. Where has it been all this time? Probably with your glasses. Laszlo was enraged. I must complete my doomsday scenario, but I need a switch. It will all fail without this switch. Buck laughed out loud. Yeah, Laszlo, what are you going to do now, huh? It's not like you could just twist the ends of those two wires together, huh? The room went totally silent. Laszlo looked at the scientist. The scientist looked at Laszlo. A henchman looked in a mirror to see if he, too, had a beard. Laszlo said to the scientist, Would that work? The scientist carefully took the two exposed wires and twisted them together. The electronic displays all came to life. Oh, crud, said Buck. It has begun, exclaimed Laszlo. He threw a big lever to the position marked full power. The worms are now digging their way into the earth. Doomsday has begun, he laughed maniacally. And now, my troublesome friend, it is time to deal with you. Chapter 36 Hey, Charlie, said you-know-who. The gummy worms are digging into the ground. Good riddance, I say. A cheer went up through the crowd. Except, that is, for little Calvin, whose recent addition to his worm collection bore through the box it was in, fell to the ground, and disappeared into a tiny tunnel it created. Nuts, said Calvin. I should have collected tigers instead. Chapter 37
Should I shoot him for you, O most violent one? asked a guard. Fool! yelled Laszlo. A short man in a harlequin suit did three backflips into the room. <laughs> you called? he asked in a silly voice. Not you, said Laszlo. However, you can stand in the corner and juggle if you like. The fool somersaulted to the corner and started juggling various fruits. The rest of you, Laszlo commanded, do not use your guns in here. This is very sensitive electronic equipment. You may dispose of Mr. Shot, but you must use knives or spears or clubs or the like. In the corner, the fool switched over to juggling knives, spears, clubs, and the like. The henchmen put down their firearms and started moving towards Buck, ready to tear him apart with their bare hands. Buck smiled. I feel it only fair to warn you, said Buck, that I have a weapon on me. The men stopped short, except for the tall ones. Laszlo rolled his eyes. He's bluffing! I had him thoroughly searched at the warehouse! I never bluff, said Buck. And you searched me before you put me into the well. Isn't that right? Laszlo sat down on an office chair. Is this leading up to a flashback? Chapter 38 Buck, stuck in the muck at the bottom of the well, took a moment to explore his surroundings, which didn't take a whole lot of time, considering where he was. But he did notice that one of the stones that made up the wall of the well was loose. He was able to wiggle the stone back and forth until it loosened enough for him to get a grip on it. He pulled hard, and eventually the stone popped out of the wall. In the rectangular hole the stone left behind, Buck could see nothing, which is understandable in that he was at the bottom of a well in the middle of the night. So he stuck his hand into the opening. He felt dirt. Wet dirt. He pulled out several handfuls of wet dirt. Suddenly his fingertips felt something solid. It took the better part of an hour to wiggle, tug, turn, twist, and pull the discovery out of the hole. He still couldn't see. But from the feel of it, it was a bone. A bone about three feet long and very hefty. A solid club-like bone, probably from some long extinct dinosaur. Man, said Buck, I could probably clean up with this on eBay. He shoved the bone down into his pants leg so nobody would notice it. Then he ate his lousy ham sandwich, ignoring the dog tooth marks. Chapter 39 Laszlo snored softly. A henchman gently pushed his shoulder. Sir, he said, the flashback is over. Laszlo lazily lifted his eyelids. What? Oh, good. I hate flashbacks. Now, get Buck shot! The henchman started towards Buck. Buck stood up straight and tall. Not another step. I warn you, I have a bone in my pants. The henchmen looked at each other with uncertainty. You have a bone in your pants? One of them repeated. I have a bone in my pants, said Buck. Hit it, maestro! The fool pushed a button on a boombox, and a dance beat filled the room. 
buck intoned. I got a bone in my pants, it makes it difficult to dance. I can whip it out and show you what it does. Don't look, he's taking it out. I got a bone in my pants, you'll want to give it a second glance. Say, that's the biggest bone that ever was. It's a big bone. I got a bone in my pants, it can put you in a trance when I pull it out and wave it to and fro. Look, I'm a Jedi. I got a bone in my pants. It's time I took a stance and raised the bar on a bone status quo. He's talking status bone. My bone's looking for some fun, and I think this shall amuse it. I got a bone in my pants, and I know how to use it. I got a bone in my pants. I can use it like a lance, and there's no way you can defeat it. That's right, beware of bone. Got a bone in my pants. It makes my manliness enhance. I suggest all you bad guys beat it. Be that bad. Laszlo yelled, Get him, you cowards! The henchmen attacked Buck, but were held off by the large bone Buck swung about. Buck said, You want some more of this? This ain't going back in my pants till I'm done. Use your tasers, shouted Laszlo. Don't let him sing again! The henchmen pulled out their taser guns and aimed them at Buck. Uh-oh, Buck said. The henchmen squeezed the triggers on their tasers and all suddenly fell to their knees. What happened? demanded Laszlo. Marcia was standing in the doorway. Right on time, she said. Laszlo demanded, What is going on, Marcia? Did you incapacitate my men? I did indeed. Poisoned peanuts. Time to knock them out in exactly five minutes. Buck stared at Marcia with admiration. Then you're not on Laszlo's side? You're not a bad guy? Marcia walked up to Buck and gave him a dope slap on the back of the head. First of all, she said, I'm not any kind of guy. I'd have thought you'd have noticed that by now. Next of all, I had to continue pretending to be a double agent until I could get access to the doomsday device. So you're a triple agent? asked Buck. Going undercover to work for Laszlo when you're actually working for the CIA? I, 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 yelled Marcia. Laszlo simultaneously smirked and sneered at Marcia, which was very painful. You have not won, he snirked. The worms have begun digging. If you destroy the device, they will merely continue digging at their current speed. Marcia snirked back at him. I don't plan to destroy it. She walked over to the same lever that before had been set to full power. She shoved the lever over in the opposite direction to the position marked reverse. Then she snapped off the lever and threw it out the window. Now your little robot worms will back up out of their little tunnels and just skitter around on the ground. You're finished, Sonobovich. Laszlo was so angry, he was at a loss for words. He tried a few out. Aluminum! Pressure! Octagon! Platoon! Erogenous! Cassowary! None of them were satisfactory, so he pulled out a gun. Whoa, said Buck. Remember what you said about guns. You don't want to destroy your doomsday device. Your friend from the CIA has made that moot, grumbled Laszlo. He continued before Marcia could interrupt. So stay right where you are. Laszlo backed out of the room, motioning his extremely ill henchmen to follow him out. 
And now I must say farewell, Buck and March. I'd love to say it's been fun, but it hasn't until now. With that, Laszlo pulled a switch on the other side of the door, and the entire doomsday device room disconnected from the gondola of the blimp and plummeted downwards. Chapter 40 Hey, Charlie, look what them gummy worms are doing now. It looks like they're backing up. Yep, coming out of their holes and backing into each other. Yep. Since they started digging outwards in the circle, they're now piling up in the middle of that circle, just a-twitching and a-squirming. Yep, them thousands and millions of worms are making quite a pile. It must be twenty feet tall. Yep, and looky here. Something fell off the blimp and is headed this way. Sure enough, the disconnected and free-falling segment of the gondola was zooming earthward. What will happen to our heroes? Be here next time for Rocky by Baby or The Moose Makes a Mess. Sorry about that. Bit of a 60s flashback. Where was I? Oh, yes. The disconnected and free-falling segment of the gondola was zooming earthward. As luck would have it, the room landed on top of the huge pile of robot worms, softening its impact. Buck and Marcia stumbled out of what was left of the doomsday device room and looked around. That takes care of that nefarious plan. All we need to do now is alert the Air Force to shoot down that blimp. We can take our time with that, said Marcia. After all, how fast can a blimp go? Notice, the author, in an attempt to please everybody, has come up with three possible endings for this book. The first is for the members of H-O-T-T-I-E, whose correspondence was featured earlier. The second is for true romantics. The third is for manly men. Ending one for H-O-T-T-I-E-S. Buck smiled seductively at Marsha and said, That blimp isn't the only thing that moves nice and slow. Marsha slapped him hard across the face and said, I don't know what your problem is, you Neanderthal, but I'm my own woman. Then she hopped onto a large Harley motorcycle and rode off into the sunset. Eventually, she not only became the head of the III, but the CIA as well. There are rumors she may run for president. After all, even without trying, she's ahead in the polls. Buck slunk back home, reflecting on his years as a male chauvinist pig. He changed his ways and opened a safe house for women who kept getting hit on by adventure book heroes. Ending for True Romantics Buck smiled seductively at Marcia and said, That blimp isn't the only thing that moves nice and slow. I'll take you up on that challenge, said Marcia, her tight bodice causing her breasts to heave with each breath. Buck snapped his fingers and a horse-drawn carriage approached. For you, milady," he said graciously, as he helped her onto the velvet-cushioned seat. Buck joined her, and they rode off to the end at the edge of the cliff, where the pounding waves matched the pounding of their hearts and the pounding of the night's activities. The next morning, Buck and Marcia lay side by side, skin glistening, and both of their long, luxurious locks intertwined on the pillows. Would you like a mint? Buck asked, holding forth a chocolate mint to his love. I'd rather have you, cooed Marcia. Buck popped the mint into his mouth. Very well, he mumbled, 
seeing as how he had a mint in his mouth. I can accommodate you, but we must be brief in our passion, as my ship departs in an hour. A tear trickled down Marcia's cheek as she whispered, Don't remind me. I don't know how I'll survive while you're at sea for those six months. Then I'll give you something to remember me by. Buck leaned over her. He gently kissed her ruby-red lips. The sun shone around his head like an aura. An aura of love. Ending for Manly Men Buck smiled seductively at Marcia and said, That blimp isn't the only thing that moves nice and slow. Prove it, bozo, retorted Marcia. Buck went with her to her apartment. Nailed her. Before dawn, he was on the bus headed back to his own digs. She was pretty nice, he thought to himself. I wonder who'll be the lucky girl for tonight. He stepped off the bus and his eyes widened and his mouth broke into a grin as he saw the woman seated at the bench. Gwendolyn! Is that it? Are we done? Excellent! Okay, uh, you've been listening to The Devil's Pinata, a book written and read by John Bell. Oh, by the way, the uh, backup singers for that Bone in My Pants song... It's a big bone! That was Jolene Roxbury. Yes, she was all of them through the miracle of multi-track. Don't look, he's taking it out! The Devil's Pinata, copyright 2020 by John Bell Creative, LLC. Make like an egg and beat that thing! Make like an egg and beat that thing! And good news! His next book has been delayed. Wow! Hopefully permanently. The Mutual Book Club, available on any of the Mutual Audio Days, the Mutual Fiction Podcast feed, and the Mutual Audio Network feed. Thanks to the reader for today's performance, and please look for more classic tales and future writers next time at the Mutual Book Club. So, do you have children, or are you just a child at heart? In which case, Saturday Story Circle might be a good place to kickstart your weekend. Because we have the very best of family-friendly audio, which is all rated G for great. Join us on the main Mutual Audio Network feed, or you can find us at the Saturday Story Circle wherever you get your podcasts. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.